Welcome to Alone with Peter. I'm your host, and on this podcast, you're going to hear interviews with entrepreneurs, artists, digital nomads, and people seeking personal growth. We'll dive deep into what set them on their journey, where they are now, and how their story can impact you, including any helpful insights if you aspire to take a similar leap of faith. No matter where you are on the journey, thank you for spending some quality time alone with Peter. This episode of Alone with Peter is brought to you by Sagebrush Coffee Roastery. There's nothing quite like a good cup of coffee. That's why I've always made it a point when traveling to try out the local cuisine and find the best coffee shops. From the Instagrammable coffee of East Asia to the classic cafes of Western Europe, I've tried a lot of coffee. And let me tell you something, nothing has quite hit the spot like Sagebrush Coffee. Sagebrush is an online coffee roastery with a wide variety of single-origin coffees you can order from the comfort of your home, knowing that your coffee is so fresh, it isn't roasted until after you order. But what makes Sagebrush so special is their dedication to the farmers and producers who make the coffee. Sagebrush's goal on a fundamental level is to allow the hard work of those producers to shine and to be rewarded for it. If you're interested in the process of coffee while becoming a more conscious consumer, Sagebrush is a goldmine of information. Along with their selection of coffee beans to purchase, Sagebrush has an extensive archive of free educational blog posts that are built into their website to help shed more light on the world of the coffee industry and how your purchasing power impacts that world. You'll learn the history of specific countries of origin, see breakdowns of various coffee terminology, and find quick blurbs about family business updates. If you're interested in learning more about the world of coffee, Sagebrush is a great place to start. You can find their website online at sagebrushcoffee.com, and for a limited time from now until August, you can save 10% on your next order of coffee beans by visiting sagebrushcoffee.com forward slash AWP10 or by using the promo code AWP10 at checkout. Welcome back to part three of our interview with John and Mark Cronin of John's Crazy Socks. In part three, we're getting actionable and practical tips and advice if you aspire to take a similar leap of faith to these two sock tycoons. We're going to get a lot of good advice in this episode, so I hope you stay tuned. And if you are enjoying Alone with Peter in these interviews, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you receive podcasts. And don't forget to check out the full transcript, links to content, and everything else on peterkirsting.com forward slash podcast forward slash 40 for this episode. All right, let's dive in with John and Mark Cronin. John and Mark, I'm going to kind of hit you with a couple different things that I would like to learn as an entrepreneur, and I think other people maybe would like to learn from your experience. So if we can speak to that, I would love to start with, Mark, you were mentioning you have a very checkered past. So can you tell me about that? You know, kind of give us the overview of your CV because it is a very interesting CV and how all those different things helped you become the businessman you are today with uh, John's Crazy Socks. Sure. Uh, so 
let's start with the framework maybe. And remember, remember I'm old, so there's lots of years <laughs> in there. When I got out of college in 1980, I taught school for two years. Uh, there are anecdotes about, you know, pure happenstance that I wound up doing that. I taught at a Catholic grammar school in New York City and then a Catholic high school. Um, I left there. I went to Portland, Oregon to uh, help a friend open a nonprofit grocery store in the Burnside District, which used to be like the Bowery in Manhattan when the Bowery was the Bowery and the Burnside was the Burnside. Came back and enrolled in a uh, doctoral program for literature. Spent a year or so in there, wound up leaving there, working for a congressman. And then I went off to the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, got out of there, worked for the city of New York in the Medicaid program, wound up running the Medicaid Health Services program. Did that for several years, left to write a novel and some short stories. Went back into healthcare consulting and then led a series of healthcare startups and consulting firms did that for quite a number of years. But along the way, I'm trying to remember in there, somewhere in there, left and started a, a software, a software company called New Gutenberg Software. We made baseball for Windows 94. Got rave reviews, lost every penny we had. Um, we, uh, so I did that into the 2000s, um, organized some political campaigns, uh, then um, helped my wife, who had a law firm, uh, and I took over the marketing for that and, and some of the uh, day to day management. And you know, for complicated reasons, that shut down. And then here we are running the sock business. Wow. So people will say, you know, tell us about your background. Well, you know, I'd never worked in retail, had never run wholesale. But processing claims in healthcare is quite similar to me to processing orders coming in. But you, you learn it every step of the way. So, I mean, here's an example. When I was, uh, when I was young, when I got right out of high school and, and through college, I did a lot of hitchhiking, different day and age. Um, so I hitchhiked cross country three times. I hitchhiked around Europe. Um, you know, car pull over the side of the road. You run to get in that car. And the first thing you have to do is you got to sh- you you got to try to size up that driver, because you got to how are you going to get along, and that ride might be ten minutes or ten hours, um, and you're the entertainment. So you do that a few hundred times, and you learn an awful lot. Um, you so when I was doing that, I wasn't going off saying well, I'm going on a learning experience. No, it's just a great adventure. But look what you go and learn. Um, I've been fortunate over the years to work for some really great people. Um, so you get to learn that, work with some really great folks. You learn it all the time. 
Well, if I could interrupt really quickly, first of all, I'm I'm smiling because I actually you're making me think of my own hitchhiking experience. I hitchhiked uh, from the Netherlands to Paris during the 2016 presidential election, and it's one of the craziest memories I have. And it's absolutely you're right. Some people picked me up, so I, I had this whole I had this whole thing where I was like, all right, well, I'm an American in the Netherlands traveling to Paris with a German who's like super tall and really eccentric. How can I get people to pick me up? So I decided to make a sign that said uh, Hillary question mark Trump question mark Paris exclamation point. And you could not <laughs> you could imagine the kinds of responses I got to that sign. Or you know I was I just owned the American thing, and it was such a fun experience. Signs were important, and what I found was the best sign just said "Home to Mom." <laughs> um. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the people you meet, you know, I oh, immediately yeah. comes to mind oh, of, yeah. of I was hitting from Paris heading in a general direction of Amsterdam. And I got picked up by these guys who said, don't go to Amsterdam first. Come with us to Den Haag. Come to the Haag. <laughs> so I went and spent three days with them. And what a great time that was, you know. Yeah. It's, um, until the one guy's wife came storming in late at night. What the hell's going on here? And there's this party going on. <laughs> this is a travel podcast in a lot of ways, too. A lot of the people I've had on the podcast are um, people who are digital nomads is the term that's used now. People who can live in all sorts of different places. So I love that kind of story. And, you know, just picking apart what your, your, your background as a teacher, I'm sure that's impacted the way that you've trained people. And you, we talked about in some of the previous episodes how you find the right role for someone. Being a teacher certainly helped you in that. Teaching is very important. I've done a lot of coaching. I coach mm -hmm. some schools, but I also coach youth sport. And uh, yeah, I think a job of a manager and, and to a degree a leader in an organization there's always a lot of teaching going on. Mm. John, was was your dad kind of like a teacher for you growing up? Yes. Yeah, I, I hear been learning. I'm still trying to teach you, right? <laughs> yeah, he is. John asked me questions, and I'm breaking it down all along. You asked something this morning, and I was walking through. I forget what that was. I don't know. You asked a lot of questions, which is a good thing, right? Right. And I'm always answering your questions. Right. I, 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 I hear you always me. I do believe in you. I love that. I love that you're always willing to ask questions, too. That's another big thing. Um, but, but also your background, you know, in, in the marketing that you said you did for your wife's law firm. I'm sure that's come into play. Political campaigning. Your time in Congress, I can't imagine that didn't affect uh, your ability to actually speak when you were given that platform, the story you told us before, being able to speak at Congress, being a congressional aide in the past? Yes, the, the speaking, uh, you know, John here has never been phased. But, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, you know, one time in, when I was in graduate school, so this would have been 86, 85, we organized, a, the, the regular administration was going to severely cut student aid and student loans. So I'm up in Massachusetts. We ordered, a, we organized a statewide campaign, letter writing campaign to protest and 
you know, did one of those press conferences where we're dumping the letters in front of, uh, of then Senator Kerry. And we had a rally on uh, the Boston Common. And, you know, I don't know, a few hundred people showed up, but let's say there were tens of thousands. No, a few hundred people show up. And I was one of the speakers. And I saw a film clip of this. And I'm up there on this podium. I got a rolled up newspaper. And I am living my dream of being like a Baptist minister. <laughs> I am just going on and on and on. But what you don't see is I was so nervous that my right leg was shaking uncontrollably. And there's a guy who didn't really know me who's sitting on the stage behind me who got up to come and grab me because he had no idea how I was still standing. (laughs) (laughs) You come from such a checkered background, and I wonder if looking back at it, you can say this this, this, and this is what's helped me be successful and what I'm doing right now. Not that it's going to be all encompassing, but some things that you pick out. I learned this. I can point to a lot. Learning how to write and be able to communicate is critically important. Um, one thing which I realized, I, I go back to school, learning how to read poetry has been critically important. And they'll call it close, doing a close reading. And this will sound maybe overly simplistic, but if you're going to read a document, the first thing you have to do is see what the words on the page are actually saying. Um, so this has fueled me as I've worked in, you know, with regulations and with contracts. You have to see what the words say. And so many people don't do that. They gloss over. They immediately start summarizing without seeing what it actually says on the page. That matters a lot. You, you get to see different forms of leadership, and that all can feed your own particular style. So that's important. Learning how to be organized. I got that from two particular bosses because I don't think that comes naturally to you. How to, you know, so I think you pick up stuff all the way, but you have to be open to it. You got to be willing to have things to internalize things. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, you know, even what, what you were just saying to, to John about like, that's a good thing that you're asking questions. Sometimes, you know, I I told you a little bit about my background in teaching both English as a foreign language, but also uh, I taught sixth grade ELA for a little while as well. And teaching people how to think is honestly the biggest thing. And teaching people how to ask questions is really important. Um, And, you know, even just thinking about what you're saying about learning how to read poetry, something that's really helped me uh, in my voiceover business is you have to see the image from the text before you ever read it. And that does a couple of different things. One, it informs the way that you narrate if you're doing a book, for example, but it also forces you to be engaged enough with the text that you can actually visualize. And that gives people the amount of time that they would need, hopefully, while listening to you read 
to also do the same thing. Because if you're listening to an audiobook or reading a book yourself, the intent should be to understand and engage with the text actively rather than just to like curse over it. You know, we're talking about utilizing your previous experience basically to leverage success. You you told me an interesting anecdote between episodes about speaking with somebody, if I'm remembering correctly, didn't work for Under Armour, but knew someone who worked in Under Armour. And it seemed like a really good example of this this phrase I'll call standing on the shoulders of giants. I, I'm borrowing it from John Acuff, but something he says in, in that book, Start, that I was just telling you about earlier is, if you want to get good at something, if you want to master something, one of the ways you can accelerate that process is by standing on the shoulders of giants. And and it seems to me something you've become really good at is asking questions from people who know how to do something you don't know how to do. So perhaps you could share that anecdote from yesterday or another one uh, that you feel like really helps people uh, drive home that story. Well, I think it starts, and we I think we mentioned earlier in a conversation about my oldest son coming home one day and saying, you know, once I learned I was an idiot, life became easier. Because then you're willing to ask questions. Then you're willing to learn. I'm always looking to learn from other people. And a key thing, I think, to getting that help is is by signaling that you really mean it. You're not just just asking an idle question. You want to know the answer. And you do that by... Mm. Acting on the advice. You know, that's how you show appreciation. And it also ties what it's it's why you're asking, what you're doing it for. You know, here's an easy one of uh, you know, how did we find our strategic partner? I met we had lots of potential investors come in here and offer deals that you know mainly wanted to buy the brand and shut us down. They didn't understand. Um, so, you know, I had to kiss a lot of toes, but we were speaking at a networking event and somebody came up and said, you know, you got to meet my friend, Lewis, my friend, Lewis, his family, they manufacture socks. They wound up becoming our strategic partner. So last night I'm, I'm part of a group called the entrepreneurs organization. Um, our Long Island chapter had a learning event last night. With a gentleman named Mark Moses, who has been a successful entrepreneur, and he also owns a business. Uh, he's the founder of CEO Coaching, the author of books uh, "Make Big Happen." Um, he's pretty inspiring, but but in very tangible ways. So after he spoke, um, we had a brief conversation, and. You know, some of it was me telling him of what I had learned from him in the past and and sharing that, yes, we had our quarterly meeting yesterday, man, quarterly management meeting, and we would check in our, our, our measurables and our metrics the same way that this guy advocates. Um, but I asked him a question about metrics and, you know, look for some advice. And he looks at me and says, oh, I don't really know the answer. But I know somebody who does. And it was the former president of uh, Under Armour. And he said, let me connect you to him. 
And so this morning I got an email introduction to Mark Shira, the former president of Vanderlaan. Because I think if you show a curious a curiosity and appreciation willing to learn, you're going to get those introductions. And some of it's based on what are you doing for others? How are you helping for others? And they'll introduce you to people. Sure. So the fact that John's Crazy Socks is philanthropic in nature, it's a social enterprise, you've shown through your actions that you're wanting to give back, that's usually reciprocated well, it seems like to me. Yes. Yes, people, we've been very fortunate and people want to help us. You know, they, they look and say, that's something I want to be part of. And that, that leads me to my next question, though, because what something that you have done particularly well, from what I can tell, is you haven't just built a brand, you've built a community. People want to support you, whether it be by buying socks from you or helping you with legislation. I see how often, for example, you're meeting with different lawmakers or lawyers or people in, you know, different parts of civil society or be, you know, the the previous owner of uh, Under Armour. So, you know, I wonder if you can help us, if somebody who's starting their own business right now or maybe in the early phases of their entrepreneurial journey as owner of a business, what are some ways that they can think about brand and, you know, finding that niche, for example, that's something you've done maybe accidentally, but you've definitely laser focused it after stumbling into it, if nothing else. Okay. To me, to be successful, your brand is not some separate entity or asset. Your brand is a reflection of who you are. It's, it's got to be in your nature and your character in the fiber of what you are. So I think I'll just share my experience here, but also elsewhere. You have to start by knowing what is that purpose? What are you about? And what are your clear values? What are you going to live? And they have to be made manifest in everything you do. And when that happens, then your brand becomes this living, breathing entity that people can relate to and they believe. It's not, I'll give you an easy kind of way and see if this makes sense. It's not like you can sit around a meeting and decide, we're gonna commit to uh, customer service. We're gonna start that next January. And this is what I mean, we're gonna tell everybody we're about customer service. No, if that's what you're really about, then it starts right now and it's everything you're about and no you're not doing everything right away you're going to just keep learning and committing to it and it gets deeper and now it's it's part of the very fiber it's part of the way everybody in the organization thinks and looks at the world now you have a brand now you have something people yeah. can believe but that sounds like it begins with a necessary element that's perhaps overlooked, which is to understand what your own core values are. There's there's an author, his name is Dr. Jim Lore, who's a performance coach, but also an author that uh, I first heard him on the Tim Ferriss podcast, the Tim Ferriss show. 
and I I liked I resonated so much with what he had to say that I ended up picking up his book, which is called uh, Building a Personal Credo, I believe. Um, and it's this pretty in depth, you know, like I want to say it was like twenty week process of going through daily journaling to kind of understand what my core values and virtues are as a person and ultimately how that should be impacting every decision I make as well as the legacy that I want to leave behind. It's an intensely introspective process and one of the things he mentions in the book is most people are living by a sort of credo but they haven't necessarily taken the time to consider what it is. So with that concept in mind I wonder if you have any advice for somebody who's just trying to discover whether it's on a personal level or on a brand level what their core values should be If you're feeling inspired by this episode of John's Crazy Socks and you're hoping to get a pair, you're in luck because for a special period of time, we have a promo code. If you enter Peter22 on your checkout, you can get 10% off your next pair of John's Crazy Socks. A great business with a great cause, spreading happiness. And if you've been getting a little joy from listening to Alone with Peter, I ask that you take the time to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. And follow us on Instagram at Alone with Peter. We'll be doing a giveaway with John's Crazy Socks in the next week or two, and I don't want you to miss out on this amazing prize. So follow along, and until then, let's get back to our show. I wonder if you have any advice for somebody who's just trying to discover whether it's on a personal level or on a brand level, what their core values should be. Well, you have to decide what your core values are. But part of it is, I, I, I think, not only do you have to believe, you have to be able to articulate it. And one way that happens is you just keep repeating it. You keep telling the story. Um, you keep talking about it. And that will help you understand more exactly what matters and hone that down. It's like the five pillars of, of John's Crazy Socks we talked about earlier. Yeah, you have to know what they are and you have to keep telling the story. I mean, I, I think I mentioned it earlier. Yesterday I was talking to a friend and his partner that went open these juice bars that hire ex-convicts and they have these operational plans, financial plans. Um, and that was part of it. Of you guys got to be really clear. What are you about? What is that mission? What is that purpose? And you, I don't think that's something you can sit down once and write. Right? I think you got to start there, and you have to keep telling it. I mean, part of part of what I think effective leaders do, they don't just say something once. You know, you do it all the time. And you have to keep reminding uh, people of that. But when you do that, then it becomes manifest yeah. in everything you do. But you have to hold that criteria to it. And here's one way you'll know. If you're willing to sacrifice money for it. Or time, which is another currency, right? You got to put the time into the business as well. Or the you know value. Because like you said, it doesn't happen overnight. Understanding where you come from, what you're trying to do, requires a lot of thought. Right. But at the same time, that's what helps make you resilient. 
give you the example. Along comes this pandemic. <laughs> Who plans for a pandemic? And it was awful for our business. Uh, it cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars in the spring of 2020. And if all we did was sell socks, we'd be in real trouble. But that's not all we did. Right? We knew what our mission was. We knew what our character and our values were about. So what did we do? Well, the first thing is you got to make sure that you take care of people. got to make sure you take care of people, in that case, their health, that people will be safe. Remember, in 2020, we didn't have um, a vaccine. What were we going to do to keep people safe? And then how do we adapt? What do, what do you do? So... Here's an example. We do tours. Well, now we're not doing in-person tours, but we can move those online. And then it opens possibilities for us. You move them online, and now we've had school groups from around the world come and take tours of our business. That's, but that was important to us because it's part of the mission of showing what's possible. We moved our speaking engagements online. Um, what can we do? How can we adapt? We make socks. What's that going to do? Well, so we made healthcare superhero socks that to say thank you to the frontline workers. And those have raised over $50,000 for the American Nurses Association and a local hospital, Good Samaritan Hospital, and their COVID-19 funds. And then you look and say, what opportunities are there and how do we fill this? So what's our mission, pal? I spread happiness. How can we spread happiness? How can we, you know, what, what can we do? Well, some things were easy. We should sell masks. So we designed particular type of masks that we sold. Um, but how do you spread happiness? People are, are now isolated. They're at home. Yeah. So that's when you started your dance party. All right. Um, so at three o'clock every Tuesday, John hosts an online dance party. And we started that in the pandemic. How could we spread happiness? Let's have a dance party. How can we reach people? We started doing a Facebook live show, the Spreading Happiness Show, just to be able to connect with people. We'd get 40,000 people watching those videos. Yes. I want to touch on that really quickly, though, too, because uh, you just mentioned the Spreading Happiness show, and I did not realize it started out as a Facebook Live, but I'm assuming that iteration is what has transformed into your new podcast, the Spreading Happiness podcast. Yes. We still do the Facebook Live show, but now we've started our own podcast. I, I think half of the people in America <laughs> are doing their own podcast. It's hard to differentiate yourself sometimes, yeah. We've started our own podcast. What's it called? Spreading Happiness. I have a new podcast with John M. Mark. It's the Spreading Happiness Podcast. And it's just designed to do exactly what it says. We want to make you feel good. We want to share a little happiness, a half hour each week. But some of this comes back to what are we about? We're not, at the end of the day, a sock store. We're about that mission. So... The socks become the physical manifestation of the story and the mission, but also it allows us to do other things like creating content. Down the road, I see us creating a lot more content to go with the physical things we do. 
On that note, I'd love to hear a little bit about the podcast. So I was I was listening to it a little bit earlier, and John, you love to tell jokes, right? And you tell a joke on every yeah. podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you be willing to share a joke for the audience of Aloma Peter? I'm sure. I'd love to. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what lights up a soccer stadium? What lights up a soccer stadium? A soccer match. A soccer <laughs> match. <laughs> Why did that tree go to the dentist? Why did the tree go to the dentist? It needed a root canal. <laughs> a root canal. You can see the level of humor we get here. <laughs> Why did the witches team lose the baseball game? Why did the witches team lose the baseball game? Their, their bags <laughs> flew away. Their bags. John. What is, the diff, what is the difference between a teacher and a train? One says, spit out your gum. And the author says, choo choo. Choo choo. That's so good. So, yeah, the. Here's what we do on our, and, sure. and it will evolve, but what we do is the the first half of it or so is just John and I talking. John, bring you up to date, you know, on what he's been up to, what he's been doing, uh, uh, what's going on in his life, right? Yes. And that may send yeah. us off on some tangents. And then um, we have some regular features. John tells, we, we both tell some jokes, right? Right. We now give a shout out to other businesses that are owned by mm. people with different abilities. We share an update on our efforts to get in shape and lose weight, which is somewhat <laughs> comical sometimes. Yeah. Um, we share some good news stories. John does a lot of research and he finds two That's good awesome. news stories each week. And we get an update on John's love life. Is it going well, John? Yes. Yeah, the girlfriend and you were together this week. We'll see what happens next week. <laughs> a lot of drama. A lot of drama. Oh my god! And then we talk about what's coming up, right? Right. What's coming up this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I'm really excited. Uh, tomorrow, I'm I'm going to have a helicopter tour for Christmas. I gave, you know, we're big on experiences. So a uh, big gift for John was uh, a helicopter tour around Manhattan. Uh, so tomorrow night, that's what that's we're doing. so I'm really cool, excited. John. I'm jealous. <laughs> well. But that's the, that that's the podcast. Um, it's, I, I don't know the field, so. But we're getting, I think it's 200 downloads an episode, and we've only done a few. The guy we're working with says, who's producing it, says that's really good. We'll see. We'll learn. Um, uh, It's just another way of carrying out our mission. We're not selling anything. We're just sharing. Right, bud? Glad that. You know, there's a lot of different directions we could go with this moving forward. But uh, one thing you you mentioned to me, you've shown it throughout the whole podcast, is that you guys like to have fun. And so I wonder, 
John and Mark, if you can share some ways with me that you make your workforce a fun place to be and so that you enjoy working there more and your employees do too. Yeah, let's be clear. Everybody's got work to do, but it's a place that's relaxed. There's you know, no screaming. It's not a stressful place. You know, we walked through earlier, you know, what we do to, to make it a great place to work. Um, we make sure that we share what's going on with folks. Um, so everybody gets to share in that. We do have a lot of things that happen here. Visitors coming in, elected officials coming in, newscasts coming in. Like everybody who's worked here <laughs> has been on TV. Everybody who works here has, you know, has been on other people's videos and things. Some of it is we make videos all the time and everybody's in it. If you're going to work here, you're going to be in a video. Um, it's doing communal things like Bagel Tuesday and Staff Lunch Friday. Um, we like to do a few things after work. Um, so, uh, for example, last week, we got two tables and took everybody off to a dinner, uh, um, the annual dinner for a local youth agency. So it's a good thing. It's part of the community. We support them. But it also meant our folks all got dressed up and came out for a night. Many of them never get to go out or they only go out with their family. So this was a fun night and it was hilarious. We, they had, um, they were raffling off gift baskets. And the way they did it, you put a little bag in front of each one and you could buy raffle tickets. And if you wanted to win bag, you know, the first bag, you know, it might have been a sports thing thing. You would put a raffle ticket in the bag in front. And if you really wanted it, you might put a lot of raffle tickets in. So we'd buy a sheet of tickets for all of our folks. Go and win some prizes. So now they're calling the numbers and we tell everybody, get your numbers out, listen carefully. First thing I notice is Mark B. Yeah. He says, oh, I got my number. And he reaches in his jacket and he takes it out. He's got the entire sheet. He hasn't put any tickets in. But he is listening so carefully to see if any of them match the number they called. Then, <laughs> very early on, there are lots of people won prizes. Masoom, they call his number. He wins. He goes up and he comes back with this huge basket. It was a dance. It was a ballet dance-themed basket. He gets back to the table, and Masoom is just sitting there with this in front of him. One of our colleagues looks at him and says, Masoom, do you really like the ballet? He says, no. But Masoom, the basket you just won has a tutu, ballet slippers, four hours of ballet lessons, you know, or... Or Andrew Nenner, our head of fulfillment, they, one of the prizes was a, golf, a set of golf clubs. It's right there, the golf clubs. It's like, you know, uh, I don't play golf, but I think I want to take it up. I'm going to see if I can win the golf clubs. And he does. But they're children's <laughs> golf clubs. And not only that, he's a lefty. And, of course, they're righty clubs. That's so, uh, so funny. Well, it's good, right? Right. And our webmaster, Nick, he won three different trips. I was like, Nick, you're going away for a month. You know? So I don't know. You do, you do things. We celebrate people's birthdays. We look for yeah. excuses to do things yeah. together. 
we could talk about all sorts of things when it comes to email marketing and, and problem solving and stuff like that. But uh, something that you've done particularly well, it seems to me, is building a community and in that being a force for change. So I guess if you were to give advice to other entrepreneurs about how to to go about doing that, how, how to make sure that they're a, a force for change in the way that they're doing their work. This comes back to what's your purpose? What are you doing? I'm not saying everybody's got to have a great social purpose, but I think that the idea of the social enterprise is very powerful because it can attract people to work for you. It is, we're in this age, they're calling the big quit or the big resignation. Four million people a month, going back to last August, have been quitting their jobs. In part, and there's a bunch of different reasons, in part because they're asking, what am I doing? What am I working for? Well, if you have a social enterprise, you can answer that question. And the same thing with the consumer. We talk about conscious capitalism. If you have the cheapest item, you're always going to have a customer. But it's really hard to have the cheapest item. Otherwise, you've got to give them a compelling reason. If you have a social enterprise, you give them more reasons because people are increasingly asking, before I give you my money, who are you? What do you do with my money? How do you treat your workers? How do you treat the environment? How do you treat the community? If you're a social enterprise, you answer those. And, and what I think, you know, in that sense of what are you doing, comes down to a pretty fundamental issue. Um, Milton Friedman, the Chicago, Chicago economist, very famously said, you only owe your a company, a corporation, only owes its responsibility to its shareholders, to its owners, to the shareholders. I beg to differ. I would tell you, and I'm not alone, the Business Council now agrees with this. You have to serve all your stakeholders. Your colleagues, your employees, your customers, your community, your environment, and your owners. And, and here's the thing. I think when you do that, your owners are better off because you're more sustainable and it's going to last longer. So now, when it comes to working with our customers, we don't reduce them to merely a set of transactions. We're looking to build a connection, a way that's gonna bind us together. And the way we do that, or try to do that, is we engage with them. We share our mission with them, and therefore they mm. become part of it. So, you know, what are the tangible ways of doing that? I, I think we spoke before. So take your email. And email is so important. You're using your email to nurture your relationship, to nurture those connections. Respect the fact that that customer has trusted you and giving you his or her email. So we never sell it. We never give them away. We're not going to send you too many emails. In fact, if you stop opening our emails, we'll stop sending it to you. We don't want to bother you. And then the emails are meant to engage, mm -hmm. not to sell. 
they're meant to build that connection. So, for example, every Friday you get an email from John. Right. Here's what he's up to. This is what's going on. And so we get a 40 plus percentage open rate because people enjoy that. Which is absolutely unheard of. It's double what the average is. On social media, um, you know, if you look at our Instagram or Facebook, particularly, you know, Facebook or, or TikTok, boy, we're sharing engaging stories. So we're sharing, you know, we did a post the other day that got a lot of engagement. It was just pictures talking about Thomas, one of our soccer anglers, and talking about his journey. People loved it because it's human and they connect to it, but they see that and now they're part of it. We share the advocacy work we do, not beating people over the head, but letting them know, oh, we met with this legislator. Oh, you know, Two weeks ago on World Down Syndrome Day, the New York State Legislature honored John. He got a standing ovation on the floor of the New York State Assembly. But we share that with our customers because they're part of it. They, we bring them into the experience. It's not us and them. We're doing this together. Well, Mark, I appreciate, I appreciate those tangible pieces of advice you're offering. And it really does all seem to go back to the fact that you are a very defined social enterprise and the fact that you have very defined core values that all lead into your brand and the brand leads to the action and, and, and everything else that's behind it. I think that's really helpful for people. You know, for example, one of the things I notice other entrepreneurs and, and even myself often run into is like, what are you supposed to share? You know, if, if you're doing something like an email marketing list, you need to know how to collect an email list, right? And so what do I have to offer that's going to make somebody want to join my email list? And is does it need to be aligned like this? And you can very quickly, you know, stop because you don't know how to do things. But at, at least if you have that, that, the brand and the core values and everything else sorted out, it's going to, it's going to point to you how to do those things too. So it's a really good reminder, I think, for, for someone like myself early on in their, in their entrepreneurial career and, and anyone else who's, I don't know, wherever you are on your journey. So I appreciate that. Well, that's just, let me you know share one thing. You're not going to do it all at once. It's going to take some time in the intervening time here. We did an interview with Newsday, the, the Long Island paper, uh, because we now have a, uh, we're now selling through Zappos, and they want to write an article about that. And we spoke about our initiatives this year to enter the wholesale market and growing our B2B uh, business. And he said, well, Mark, you've been around for five years. Why are you, why'd you wait till now? Well, we didn't wait till now, but we didn't have every, you know, we weren't able to do it until now. Only now do we have the manufacturing capability. Only now do we have the line of socks that we can go and do this. You want to, this is not about waiting until things are perfect, but you're not going to do everything in one day. You're going to evolve. Here are fulfillment capabilities. So we have always striven to do do same-day delivery. Now we're able to do it. We've got now 20 months with 100% on-time delivery. There was one day in 20 months where five packages didn't get out on time. 
But we didn't start there. You know, we had to learn. You had to come up a learning curve on how to run that warehouse and how to, you can look and our warehouse looks physically different because of the way we organize it. And the workflow was physically different. Um, you, day one, we were trying, but you're going to keep learning. It's going to take you some time. Yeah. Well, something that you, you guys have done very well is, is just, like you said, uh, ready, fire, aim. And, and that's something I'm definitely trying to be better at. It ties back into resilience and everything else you're saying. I want to ask two final questions because I'm trying to be respectful of your time. And I appreciate how much you've been willing to chat with me. You know, you talked in part two about how you testified in Congress and you have been speakers on, on the news and on TEDx and, and to corporations like Microsoft and Google. And you're clearly taking the social enterprise into a, into a civil level as well, because you also have that obviously very personal connection. Speak to anybody who, who is maybe going to be a future parent of somebody with differing abilities. What would you say to them if they're currently being presented with this this gift, and maybe some people think of it as challenge, what would you say to them? Take a breath. <laughs> um, love your child. Um, you know, be grateful. Be grateful what you have. Um, you know, everybody's circumstances are different. The world is better today than it was 26 years ago when John was born. And it was better then than it was 26 years earlier. And a better world is going to await, you know, a child born today. Um, it's don't underestimate your child, treat your child the way you would others, you know, promote their independence, expect their achievement. Um, don't, at the same time, don't compare your child to others. Um, and this doesn't matter if it's differing ability or not. Everybody's going to develop at their own pace. I told you, John, he couldn't speak for several years. Now, I've seen this guy stand in front of 22,000 people at Madison Square Garden and bring them to their feet. Um, now we would get paid thousands of dollars for a speaking engagement, but he couldn't talk. Well, if we panicked then, what good was that going to do? Um, let him find his way. Uh, I don't know, you know, I'll share another just personal story. Um, next week, we're going to a wedding of son of a, uh, a buddy of mine from high school. And there's a group of us who we have been friends, good friends ever since high school. Um, unfortunately, we've lost a good number of people on the way, but we were at another wedding, I think two years ago, three years ago. And it was a picture of five of, of the five of us together. I was looking at that picture and I was thinking, you know, when we were in high school, nobody was betting on our futures. Nobody knew what was going to come of us. And, you know, many of us were, you know, on shaky ground. And that was true into our 20s. 
So I'm looking at that group of five. It was, I got thrown out of my high school. They took me back in. I got thrown out for being an entrepreneur. <laughs> I didn't call it that then. I ran junior cut day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so of that five, one is a cardiothoracic surgeon who runs a, uh, a network of uh, cancer centers. One is the executive vice president for a national water company. One is a lawyer down in Meadville, Pennsylvania, and has now multiple businesses running. One's the executive vice president of operations of a hospital here on Long Island. And then there's me, um, whatever I, you know, good I am. But I want to take that picture and I want to take it to students in high school or college and their parents and say, relax. It's going to be okay. Everybody's going to, you know, you'll find your way and let people find it at their own pace. Of that group of five, oh, Cliff, he was going to bounce around a bit before he started medical school. Joseph really was, you know, he was playing, playing fast and fun until he got to be about 30. You know, it's love people, support them. Let people find their way. Don't hold people back with your lower expectations of folks. If we did that with John, he'd never be doing this. And we've seen people. We've seen others. You know, and parenting is very humbling. You can't criticize others. But we've seen others. They so shelter their children that the kids can't develop. Um, I mean, here's, here's a way to think about it, right? Don't. Don't ever be blinded by a person's limitations. Be awed by their possibilities. Wow. So I may have rambled too much there, but... No, no, thank you for sharing it. It's it's not an easy question, and it's something I wanted to ask, but it's, it's also a deeply personal question, so I appreciate you being willing to share. We've also been very fortunate... You know, we got a great family. John received a great education. We approached it that we were part of a team with his teachers working together. Um, you know, don't be looking for adversaries and you don't have to go it alone. There are other people around that can be there with you. Right? John, is there is there something you would share with with anybody who's who's trying to do something like you're doing or any other business owners? Do you have advice for people? You got advice for people? I, I do. Um, follow your heart. Follow your dreams. Work hard so you can do. So sure you awesome. can do, yeah. People frequently ask me, you know, <laughs> well, there's one thing and, you know, Yes, I would say you have to believe, you have to have conviction. But, you know, if I was starting a business and I wanted to be successful, maybe the first thing I'd do is kidnap John and get John to work. It's true. He's, he's kind of your magic. He's your magic fairy dust, isn't he? And it's all the time, right? I mean, here, right? Here's, yeah. here's John at work. So it's January of 2017. We're just starting out. We, at that point, we only sold other people's socks. And we're uh, finding out nobody buys anything in January because they spent all their money to holidays. That's when we discover that people wear crazy socks 
to celebrate World Down Syndrome Day. What day is that? On March 21st. March 21st. You would have thought <laughs> we knew that ahead of time, but we didn't. We're not that smart. So, okay, we go looking for a Down Syndrome-themed sock that we could sell. Nobody made one. What do you do? Well, if nobody made one, what do you say? I said, I want to make one. I want I'm sitting there at a computer. I'm doing these searches. I'm trying to find one. John, just like that. Let's just make our own. And you designed it. I did. And we went and made it. Right? Just find a way. Yeah. You can make this work. And we've spoken for a long time. There is not one thing we said that is the proverbial rocket science. It's all common sense. It's all easy. And if we can do it, anybody can do it. Well, I'm certainly feeling inspired to, to try to take some of those lessons and use them myself as well. And some of it's a good reminder of what I'm doing right. And some stuff is, man, maybe I should really be taking some notes from, uh, from John and Mark of John's Crazy Socks. That's a wrap on this interview with John and Mark Cronin of John's Crazy Socks. I hope you've been enjoying these two as much as I have and that you consider helping out their cause. They do so much for the differently abled and they're so inspiring. Uh, head on over to johnscrazysocks.com if you're looking to get a pair and don't forget to use promo code PETER22 if you want to get 10% off while you're at it. Alone with Peter is a podcast made for you. I want to hear your feedback, so let me know. Leave a review on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. And follow along on Instagram. Send me a DM. Let me know what you think of the show. And uh, I hope to see you next time on Alone with Peter.